Father, I want to give you thanks for this team uh, that was out in Detroit last week. And I pray that the seeds that they planted, that the words of encouragement, even just knowing uh, the people that were there, knowing that there are people outside of their city that care for them. I just pray that those seeds would be planted and watered. And uh, Lord, in the days to come, maybe uh, there's more to that relationship. Help us to press into that. And Lord, also, as we look at your word today, help us to remove prejudices, things that maybe we believe that are not true. As we look at authority and submission and marriage relationships and family uh, relationships, God, help to bring healing and wholeness. But also, Lord, teach us how to walk according to your ways and not the ways of the world. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to talk about God's design for authority in marriage and the family. And a lot of people ask the question, how can a book that is 2 to 35, 3,800 years old, uh, you know, the Bible was written over 1,600 years, starting probably back to uh, uh, 2,000 B.C., 1,800 B.C., arguably that old. How can it have anything to say to us today? The things that were said about marriage in Jesus' day, how can they possibly be relevant And I think that's a good question. I have people ask me that question all the time. It's a fair question. We live in an age where moral relativism teaches that the moral standards we live with are subject to change. They change with the whim of culture. Progressivism teaches that as society progresses, we will will grow and change, and so will our ideas and values about truth. So, for instance, in 2008 and the presidential election, uh, President Obama at the time, uh, I think as it was uh, Senator Obama was running. Oh, no, he was already, this was the second term. But uh, in his first term, he was very pro-marriage. He said marriage is a uh, covenant between one man and one woman. And uh, there were people that said, hey, he's got that down. That's really good. Four years later, all of a sudden, he says he doesn't believe that anymore. What happened? How did he go from, one people, uh, some people would say he went from being a hater to an enlightened person. I would say, I'm wondering where he got his idea of what truth is, because my truth doesn't change that quickly. My tr- truth doesn't change that um, easily. And by the way, he's a, a big target because he's our president, was our president. Uh, there are a lot of politicians that change that way. Have you noticed how people change on what they believe uh, truth is? And uh, it's, it's fluid for them. Sometimes, for a lot of people, truth is based on the situation you're in. They call it situational ethics, where uh, in a particular situation, it may be uh, not true at all, but it's true in another situation. That's not how our God works, okay? So let's look at this. As Christians, we believe that truth is not relative to the person, to the age in which we live, or any other condition. Truth is revealed by God. It's because truth is based in the character of God, and God doesn't change. Contrary to what I read last week, that person that said they believed that Jesus, if he were around today, would have grown a lot from when he was uh, you know, there 2,000 years ago, and he would be more open-minded. I have to tell you, our Jesus that we worship and the Father that we worship, they have been from the beginning of time, before time began. Jesus is very truth himself. And he doesn't change. He doesn't have to change. If we have to say that our God grows and changes like that, folks, we're in trouble. Because we're serving the gods like the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans served that fought with one another, and they were just elevated human beings that had personalities that were subject to change. What if the gods changed the rules on us like they did in the Greek and Roman ancient culture all the time? 
That's scary. Our God is a rock. He doesn't change. We know what his character is like. His word is based on who he is. So in the same way that we believe that God established natural orders and laws that govern nature, that don't change, gravity is still the same. We could try to defy it temporarily, but whatever goes up will eventually come down. It's going to come back. It's going to fall back to the earth. There are spiritual laws that are just as certain as the natural laws that God has created. He's consistent in who he is. And people that are trying to fight the laws of God and principles of God will find, yeah, God gives you the freedom to do whatever you want, but sooner or later there are consequences for going against the truths and against the principles that God lays down. Luke 21:33 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, long after this planet in the form that we know it now is gone, God's word is still going to be the same because it's who he is. It's what he has believed. We also believe that God established spiritual laws that are transcultural. What does that mean? It means they're true in any culture. They're true in Yemen. They're true in Portugal. They're true in China, and they're true here. Those principles are the same. They're true in any culture. They're also transtemporal. It means they're true, as, as just as true in the first century when Jesus lived as they are 2,100 uh, years later. The truths of God don't change. They're transcultural and they're transtemporal. Now, our understanding of God's truths, and I'm going to share some, some foundational things with us here this morning that I think all of us as Christians need to understand. And a lot of Christians don't know how to interpret the Word of God. You say, wait a minute, I don't have to interpret the Word, I just read it. Everybody interprets the Word. And I've got to tell you this, if you're bringing your own prejudices and reading them into the Word, then you're in trouble. So my professor at Kent State University years ago that said, in the beginning, God created them, male and female, he created them. See, everybody is bisexual. I raised my hand. He says, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, Christians have been the powerful group in America for a long time. This is, this is like 30, 40 years ago now. He said, from now on, you're not allowed to talk in class. He said, because your worldview has already been espoused for a long time, and we're going to look at different alternative worldviews. So a group of Christians in that class refused to sit down. We stood in that class and would not sit. And that's how we protested for a while. We all found each other after class because we all said, this can't happen. But it is happening, isn't it? Okay. We need to learn how to carefully divide the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, as a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We need to be diligent in how we learn to interpret the word of God. There are principles about interpretation. You always hear me talking about context. You can't take the word of God out of context. The context tells you a lot of stuff. But we need to understand there is a lot of cultural distance and there is a lot of historical distance between the things that are in the Bible sometimes and between what we are uh, talking about today. Okay, So for instance, let me give you a for instance. The Bible talks about slavery and it gives instructions to those who are slaves on how they need to uh, relate to their masters. And we go, wait a minute, is the Bible saying that we should have slavery? No, it's just acknowledging in the world 2,000 years ago, slavery was ubiquitous. 
It was everywhere. It was in virtually every country. It's not establishing slavery. As a matter of fact, Paul, in his book uh, about Onesimus, talking about this slave that escaped, he encourages him. He said, if you can get your freedom, get your freedom. And he says, you know, like uh, the Old Testament said to Israel, uh, slavery was never meant to go beyond six years. On the seventh year, you were to be set free. This idea of perpetual slavery is never endorsed by the Bible. That's where America blew it, by the way. You know that. Because originally, slavery started out as indentured servitude, a seven-year covenant, and this is what they did in England. You would sign on uh, to work on a farm, and they would pay your passage. You would work for six years, and the seventh year, you would be freed. And and all of a sudden, with an African-American, the first African-American slave, they said, no, this is in perpetuity, and and your children are included, and we're not going to let you go. Well, the Bible never endorses that, okay? But sometimes we look at those things and we go, we need to understand what was happening 2,000 years ago and understand that the words then were so radical that were being said. When Paul says to the slave master of Onesimus, you need to treat this guy like a brother. You need to let him go. You need to stop treating him like a slave. Those were radical words. But people look at the Bible and they don't understand that context. We need to do a little work, don't we? And this is why I'm sharing this about uh, talking about marriage, because we hear the word submission and instantly half the uh, people in the room, their minds turn off and they go, oh, if he's going to talk about submission, uh, that's just all there is to it. I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to give you some examples of that. And we may not finish all this today. Don't, don't uh, fret. We'll finish it next week. I know we had a lot of testimonies today, but I want to lay this foundation before we go on. Is this good? Helping you understand a little bit about the word? Okay. The church has not always kept their integrity with how they respond to cultural change. We don't do very well. As a matter of fact, as the church, we can become very reactionary and we can react to things that are happening in our culture and we come across as being very shrill and we really don't know how to handle the things that are happening around us. Now, I've got to tell you, the mainline liberal churches, their solution has been to literally surrender themselves to culture and adapt to whatever culture believes, and they just kind of, like chameleons, match the color that they're with. They, they say, well, the world's saying green right now, and they turn green. The world's saying red right now, they turn red. And that's the way many liberal churches have done that, and that's been a problem in America. They have no gates, they have no understanding that there are transcultural, trans uh, temporal truths that God has laid down, and they just surrender to culture. Is that an option for us? No. Glad to hear that. Could be a little stronger there. <laughs> Evangelical churches have often been slow and reactionary. We've defended old cultural values as though they were timeless principles from God's Word. And sometimes I hear people saying things like, you know, well, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Can anybody cite where that is in the Bible, by the way? Yes, which is not a book. Exactly. First Joe. It's my Bible. It's my book. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to interpret it the way I want to interpret it. And this is where some people are. But it's funny because in in some of the cultural shift that we've experienced, people have these ideas that are more based in culture than in the Word of God. Now, how many of you know that homosexuality is a sin that's condemned by the Bible? Here's the problem with the evangelical church. We proclaimed that, but we ignored a lot of other sins that were going on. And to the world around us, they go, well, yeah, they want to pick on homosexuality. They didn't say too much about divorce. And they didn't say too much about gossip and slander. 
and some of the other sins that are going on. I got the big question on TCT TV, asked the pastor on Monday. Guy from Alabama calls in and he says, I smoke a lot and uh, am I going to go to hell? So Pastor Norris, who loves me so much, remember he went with us to Israel. Pastor Norris said, I'm going to give this to Pastor Del Torrio. <laughs> For years growing up in the church, I thought the worst sins were smoking, drinking, dancing, and going out with women that chewed tobacco. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, because we had a selective group. There were sins that we acknowledged, and there were a bunch of other sins. See, this is the problem. We can look at the mainline church, and they're wrong. There's no doubt about it. The problem with evangelicals is that we haven't been consistent. And yet, in 1 Corinthians, it says, when it talks about sexuality, it says, and some of you were homosexual, but now you have been transformed. And we have forgotten that God can save everybody out of everything, but it's all of us that are sinners that need to be transformed. So we sound kind of shrill when we pick on certain sins and we forget the sins of others, right? Are you starting to get my drift here? And we're we're going to apply this to marriage a little bit this week and we'll get more into it next week. So we need to let go of culture and we need to look at the Word. So let's look at Ephesians 5. You can go to the next slide there. Paul says this, he said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you look at the context there, he's talking about the whole church. He said, submit to one another. Remember what I said last week? Submission is like being clothed with humility. It's the way that you approach people with an open heart. And if you didn't hear that, you have to go back to last week's message. Verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. This is where now all of a sudden we have people and you look at scripture and you say, okay, it's saying that the husband is the head of the wife. That means when I go home, I can tell my wife, where are my shoes? Where are my slippers? I want my pipe. I want my remote control and stay away from my lazy boy. Tell me when supper's ready and it better not be after 630. I don't have a problem with that, except the pipe. I don't smoke. So... Here's the funny thing about that. When I was a brand new Christian and I came to the Lord at Kent State, we were, it was in the middle of the Jesus movement. And we had experienced this powerful, transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. And it was just an amazing thing. And I, I was living with a, uh, an apartment full of guys, uh, some very interesting guys. One of them was named Jerry. I won't, no last names will protect the guilty. And uh, Jerry told me, he says, you know, he says, one of the things I really like the Bible is it really puts women in their place. He said, I'm going to marry a woman who has bare feet. She's going to stay at home in the kitchen. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tether her to the stove so she'll never get very far away. I'm not kidding. He actually said this. And he thought literally that that was the image that the Bible projected. When it says the man is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, he's not thinking about protection. He's not thinking about service. He's not thinking about leading through a servant heart like Jesus did, which is the context here. I remember one day, Janice, you, you can imagine Janice at age 17, 18, and Jerry says, hey, hey, you need to submit to me. The Bible says, you remember when he came up to you? He says, Jerry... First of all, you're not my husband. And second of all, you never will be my husband. And third of all, you don't know the Bible at all. Get away from me. And you just kind of, you know, it's kind of a funny thing. 
Brian, you might remember some of those early Kent State days. You were there. He's a survivor. <laughs> Let's go back to this. So you see what I'm saying? If you start reading into the text something that's not there, this is where we get into trouble. And people do this all the time. And this is why we need to be careful as workmen, carefully interpreting the word of God and understanding the context and reading out of the text instead of reading our meanings into the text. It's a dangerous thing. And, we just, and because of that, who does, who does the press sometimes focus on? The knuckleheads that misquote scripture and do things like that. Yes. And they look at that and they say, see, this is how all Christians are. They're uneducated, they're... Uh, ridiculous, they don't know what they're talking about, and they're totally locked somewhere in the past thousands of years ago. All right, let's, let's read on. It says, verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. We're going to de- define what that is. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, let's stop right there, and you have to ask the question, if somebody loved you, let me ask the women in the group, if somebody loved you like Jesus and always had your best interest at heart, had a servant heart toward you, and uh, was an amazing listener, uh, loved you in every way possible, would it be hard to follow their leadership? Yes. Okay, could be. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If we love as Christ loved the church. Well, what does it mean to love as Christ loved the church? I remember my pastor as a uh, young guy. I was 20 and Janice was 19 and we were in pre-marriage counseling. And he says, do you know what that scripture means? To love your wife as Christ loved the church? And I said, I think I do. I knew if I said I did, I was in trouble because I knew my pastor. And he said, it means, first of all, that he said Christ sought us out for reconciliation when there was broken relationship. It means that any time there's broken relationship in your house, you need to lead by having a heart of humility and seeking reconciliation with your wife. My worldview shifted real fast. I can see the look on some of the guys' faces in the room. Your worldview is shifting. What does it mean to love as Christ loved the church? To lay your life down for somebody? To protect them? Wow. That's a little bit different than saying, where's my remote control? Okay? And by the way, ladies, you're not off the hook. I still am going to get back to the submission. I'll get there. He goes on to say that Christ loved. He gave gave himself up for the church, verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Guys, I want to ask you a question. Do, Do you know that one of the things that you are called to do as a husband, is to protect the purity and integrity of your wife and your children and your home. One of the greatest wars against the heart of men and women today is pornography. And it's so easy to come into our homes. Do you know how pornography devastates the hearts of women and children, how it destroys a marriage? I was eight years old when somebody got pornography into my hands. We didn't have the internet back then. Well, maybe the military did, but our house didn't. But when that got into my hands, it was through a family member that should have protected me. Probably a couple family members that should have protected me. I can't tell you how important it is. And we, 
we're going to talk about how the temptation, go back to Adam Eve, temptation for men is to do what? To be passive and not to step into the role of leadership that God has called us. Men, we can be awesome in sports. We can be awesome leaders in business. We can be lions of industry. We can do, and we come home and we abdicate our leadership and we, we have no gates or walls in our home. That's a problem. If we're going to be men of God, we need to contend for the purity of our wives, our children, and our home. And wives, you need to do this too. One of the most heartbreaking statistics I read this week is women are rapidly catching up to men in addiction to pornography. And parents, I want to tell you, if you don't have a plan for your home, I love the, one of my favorite quotes in my life is from a guy named Dan Maltby. He uh, was a San Diego planning uh, director for the city. And he said, people without a plan are at the mercy of those who have one. Yeah. Somebody's got a plan to hook your kids on drugs and to hook your kids on pornography. And if you don't have a plan to deal with it as parents, there's a problem. Amen. This fall, we're doing a class called Marriage and Family Freedom that talks about team marriage. And I love this material, and we're, we're hopefully going to uh, make this part of our ongoing uh, classes that we do. And uh, I've, I've got to tell you, I love it because it talks about teaming and communication and how we work together to become everything that Christ has called us to be. That's what we need to be. That's what we need to do. Let me read on here. And it goes on in verse 7. He says, In Christ to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And if you've never read the book, Love and Respect, it's based on this scripture. It's a great look at the things that men and women are looking for in marriage. I recommend that. So let me tell you what submission of a wife to her husband is not. And then we'll, we'll take a point here. We'll stop. First of all, it's not a loss of her own identity. When women get married, they don't lose their own identity. There are many women that choose to uh, work outside the home, and they also work inside the home. Uh, they raise children, and women have, often have different seasons than men in their life. But I've got to tell you something. If your wife chooses to say, I'm going to give a portion of my life to be the primary caregiver for our small children, don't let her lose her identity just in that, Okay. And I, I'm going to talk about this more next week, but there has been a war on motherhood in our culture to the point where any woman that is a stay-at-home mom sometimes feels afraid to tell people what you do. Let me say something to the moms here today. You have one of the most complex, amazing roles. I'll look at Bree. She's right here, okay, with number five on the way. But you have one of the most complex roles. You are discipling a small army of people that are going to change the world. And we'll talk about it more next week because Paul gives very specific instructions to women that are wise. And he talks about discipling younger women in your community. He talks about what you're supposed to be doing. He talks about the way that you nurture your children. This is one of the most important roles in our society today. 
We're talking right now, um, and this may sound like a tangent, but stay with me. We're talking right now, people in Summit County, about how we deal with poverty. And I've got to tell you, there are two main reasons for poverty in our community and probably any community. One is addictive behavior. The other is a, a family that's been devastated. Yes. Do you hear what I'm saying here? The government could do a lot more for people and save a lot of money if they would stop warring against the family and start supporting families and realize government can't supplant what the family does. And now there's a war against any nuclear family that includes one man and one woman. They're afraid to say that that, even though all the statistics prove that that is the best constellation for a family because God ordained it. Now, do we know sometimes that we lose a father, we lose a mother through divorce, through sickness? Through, that's okay. We understand that that happens. But the ideal that God gives us is a father and a mother that are nurturing children together in a team marriage. This is what God designed, and this is what he wants to do. And right now, there are a lot of forces that are contrary to that. And we need to realize that. They'll do everything but family, the way that God told us to do it. And that's, that's kind of heartbreaking. Another thing that submission is not is a woman trapped by an overbearing man who wants to control her who abuses scripture. What about roles mandated by scripture? Does the Bible say the wife should stay home and do all the work raising the children while the husband watches? And listen, you have to, you have to work this out. Okay, even if your wife is a stay-at-home mom, when you get home, you need to engage and become part of the process. You need to work and manage this. And I, I'm watching my children grow through this right now, and it's amazing. So my daughter, who has a PhD, she's a professor at Case, is working so hard to be a good mother. And I think motherhood is probably her first priority right now, even though she's doing all this amazing stuff. But it takes the whole family. And my son, I've got to say this, he'll hear this on uh, the Internet, and he'll probably punch me. I'm amazed at the kind of man he's become. He gets home from work, rolls up his sleeves, and immediately he's got the kids he's doing, and they work as a team, and I'm stunned to see what happens there. He's a better dad than I was. Because hopefully he had a better model than I did, but that's okay. My dad was a workaholic. I never saw him. I love my dad, but I never saw him. He worked 17, 18 hours a day. He had all these businesses going. I never saw him. Are you starting to get the picture? We often confuse roles and attitudes of submission. Submission is not a woman's role. It's the spirit in which she partners with her husband to fulfill her role. It's a heart attitude of being clothed with humility. And I've asked Janice in the next couple weeks to share with us from from your perspective. Do you want to do that right, right now real quick? And then we'll close with that. So this is so funny that you're thinking, I can't believe Janice is going to talk about submission because I'm such a rascal, and you all know it. <laughs> and I, I have, you know, I'm such a rascal, right? It's just... Amen. I know. <laughs> She's a lovable rascal, though. I am. <laughs> so, yeah, this is coming from someone with a powerful personality, and I struggled with it. And Joe, you said something interesting that I have to 
kind of disagree with in that you said, now, if you didn't have this amazing guy who was just like Jesus, couldn't you submit to him? And my answer is no, because I had a heart of rebellion. I had a spirit of rebellion in me. And I can blame it on a million things. I'll own it myself. But I was rejected by my dad, you see, and uh, was and also an abuse victim. And so when you couple that, I don't care how nice somebody is to you, you're always, you're ready to go. You're a fighter. Do you know what I mean? And so the, to understand submission for me had, had to do with breaking up a lot of spiritual strongholds in my life. And Joe and I, um, we agree on most things except uh, like uh, science fiction. Yeah. She's I, a Gannett. Yeah, I can't do it. No, do you know what I mean? Like, we are very compatible kind of people. But I would give him a hard time about stuff all the time, just giving him a hard time. And I had to get to the point where I realized, you know what? Women, and even ones that aren't rascals like me, I've seen women who are just these sweet little soft-spoken, and you think they're so submissive. They don't even let their husband pick out a restaurant. It's like, oh, I... I <laughs> you know, let's go to Ruby Tuesday. And then the sweet submissive one goes, oh, I just hate it there. And the whole time she's sitting there, she's going, oh, I just hate it. And she thinks she's being submissive because she went to his restaurant. Because she's got attitude too. Do you know what I'm saying? No. Let me just say this. It has to do with the attitude of the heart. That's right. And as I began, and as I began to get freed from the spiritual bondage that I was in, and if you need help with that, come and talk to me. We'll pray with you. It's just so much fun to be set free from a lot of garbage. So I had to get to the point where the Lord spoke to me. And there was this scripture that I always thought was so hilarious that it would never be me. Joanne is smiling at me. And Jennifer, women have known me for decades. You've seen my journey. So... There's a scripture about a gentle and quiet spirit and how that will win over your husband. And I was me, me, gentle, quiet, ha, never, that will never happen. I've got such a big mouth, that'll never happen. But the Lord said, it's your spirit. And guess what? After I went through so much of the deliverance from what held me in so much bondage, guess what happened to me? I had a gentle and quiet spirit. My personality was still bubbly. I'm still out there. I'm still who I am. But I'm not all worked up. I'm not always like, okay, I'm going to come out swinging. I'll ask questions later because i got to defend myself because you might be an unsafe person, even the nicest guy in the world. So that's where I have issues. I don't care how nice your husband is. If you've got a lot of problems, lady, it's not going to happen for you. The Lord said something to me. He said, Janice, submission to Joe is between you and me. It's really not between you and him. Like, when you stand before me, he's not going to be standing next to you. It's you and me, girl. So I'm going to give you a funny story when I learned submission. And learning submission for me meant stop giving him such a hard time all the time about stupid stuff and wearing him down just because you want a little control. You know, look at your heart. So anyway... I hate our alarm at home. We live way back off the road, and so we have an alarm system. And it's really annoying. It's yeem, 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 and I hate it. And Joe said to me, because there had been some robberies on Hudson, this was a few years ago, he said, I want you to use that alarm all the time, okay? I was like, okay, 
well, I hate it. So what I was doing is if I was just running to the grocery store, I wouldn't use it, so I didn't have to listen to it coming in the house. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you're being rebellious against Joe because he wants you to use the alarm. And I said, he's not even here. He doesn't even know. It's like he's not even... And it was, you know what? The guy's trying to protect you. Honor the guy. He wants you to use the alarm. And I said, you know what, Lord? You're right. And I set the alarm. And can I tell you something very strange? The Holy Spirit fell on me. I was covered in peace, and I had a clue. I was beginning to get a clue about my heart. And so if you want to know about my journey even more, I'm happy to share with you. But you know what, ladies? It has to do with your heart. And I'll say one more thing. We submit all the time. Even those of you who the word submission makes you feel like you're going to get sick. When you see a stop sign, hopefully you stop. Unless you're a jerk, you know, you'll stop. (laughs) You're submitting. Do you know what I'm saying? We submit all the time. But when it comes to submitting to another person or even to the government, we have attitude. So it's all a very interesting thing. I'd happy to talk to you with more, but that's it. Can I tell them the one more thing I was going to tell them? Because you, you were going to quote me on this. Go ahead. One more thing. He's going to quote the Proverbs 31 woman yeah, we'll do and that how next awesome week. she is. And I said, you know what? If I had a house full of servants, I bet I'd be awesome too. I, you know, I love Janice's personality. I always have, and we, we have a lot of fun. And I grew up in an Italian-American community where all the women were quiet. No, not really. They were all strong women. They could, half of them could arm wrestle me to the floor. But let me just say this. What she said about a quiet spirit, I did research on that in the Greek, and it's not talking about quiet as far as volume or personality. It's talking about a heart that is full of peace. And women, I want to give you a clue. If, if your husband comes home to you, whether you work outside the home, inside the home, whatever, and he finds you with a heart full of peace rather than with all this static and all this unresolved stuff, if you're at peace with God, it's a refuge for him. Amen. Janice is my home. Amen. When I come home, I know that she is in the Lord and she's in the presence of the Lord and the peace of God is there and that's a refuge for me. Amen. So that's a clue about where we're going. We'll stop there. Can we just... Take a moment and bow our heads. Lord, we love you so much. Father, first of all, I just want to pray on behalf of all of us. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not properly seen the word for what it is and what you're speaking to us and what you're wanting to do. I also, Lord, pray. I know that there are many marriages represented here, and of course, all of us are part of a family. We're part of a family system. And Lord, we... uh, We need to hear these words. Father, there are some in here, there's tension in their marriage. There is, um, I know there are women here today and they're always at war with their husbands. If not verbally, it's in their heart. Unresolved things. Maybe it's tied to pain or things that happened earlier in their life. There are men here that don't know how to walk in authority like you, Jesus, and we can be overbearing and we can be demanding instead of being the servant leader that you've called us to be. So, Father, we just want to say to you, we ask you to forgive us today. 
for the ways we have not walked in the right relationships that you want us to walk in. That verse I read, the first thing in Ephesians, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. To have a heart of humility and a heart of brokenness before you and also a heart of humility towards others is where you want us to be. So Lord, in this series that we're doing, continue to speak to us, continue to lead us. I pray that you would heal marriages, that you would heal families, Lord, that you would heal hearts, that your spirit would just work in us, God, and that what you've begun, you would continue. In Jesus' name, amen.